morning. I got a note up here that says, hey girl, I love you. You sing so good. You left that for me? <laughs> oh, man. I, um, I've had the privilege of, um, of doing some baptisms here lately, and there's a couple that, um, that I didn't get uh, certificates to yet. So if you would, please come up here and receive these on behalf of the church. Uh, Ms. Um, Ashley Mueller and then Ms. Cheyenne Mueller. Miller. Those are too close. <clears throat> and we got just a little Bible to help you along your way. Thank you. I love you too. Thank you. Yeah. Hello. I love you. Let me get your Bible, okay? Come right here. All right. If you would grab your Bibles this morning, I'd like to, while you're turning to the book of Ephesians, I'd like to just tell the the youth and everybody that was a part of that drama, Letha, y'all, uh, Savannah, y'all did a fantastic job. Peyton, Chris, as always, um, it was um, it was good. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter four this morning. Ephesians chapter four. Let's read verses 1 through 6. And we'll pick up the rest of this next week. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. If you're there, say amen. amen. If you ain't there, say hold on, preacher. That is. It's usually Nick King. <coughs> All right. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, I beg you, I beseech you, I'm pleading with you to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, in the bond of peace, because there is one body, there's one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. There's one Lord, there's one faith, one baptism, one God, and the Father of all who is over all and through all and in you all. I'm going to stop right there. You can be seated. I want to keep going, and I'm torn this morning, just to be honest with you, but I know I'm not going to have time to, to get it all in there, so we're going to stop right there this morning. But um, if I could get, uh, Josh, would you pray for us, please? Amen. Amen. Today we, uh, we're continuing our series through the book of Ephesians. 
If you've been here through it all, if you haven't, you'll, I'll catch you up real quick right here. But Ephesians is split into two sections. Ephesians chapter 1 through 3 is about doctrine. It is about um, who you are in Christ, your position, your calling, uh, what it is that we believe that Christ has done for us and where He has placed us at. And then when you get to chapter 4 through chapter 6, it splits into the second half of the book, which goes into this is how you live out your calling. This is how you walk. This is the way that the practical application looks of all that we believed in Ephesians chapter 1 through 3. And so that's the reason why when you get to chapter 4 right here, you'll notice the first way he starts off is, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner that's worthy of your call. And then he's going to lay out for you in the next three chapters, he's going to lay out for you, this is what that walk looks like. And this is, way, this is the way that a Christian who has been called by God out of darkness into his light, this is what it looks like, this is what his attitude looks like, this is what his, um, his demeanor is, and these are the steps that he takes. And so, And you're going to see that no matter what, book you go to. If you were to go to the book of Romans, you would notice that in Romans chapter 1 through chapter 11, it's all about doctrine. This is what we believe. This is, uh, this is how you are saved. And this is uh, why you are saved. And this is how God has done it. And, and then this is the way that it was done in the Old Testament. And all of it is about how you believe. But then when you get to Romans chapter 12, he makes the same shift and he says, okay, now based on all that you are in your faith in Jesus Christ, I therefore now beg you to walk in a manner worthy. And he says, make your body a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service to the Lord. Or if you were to go to Colossians, you'd see Colossians chapter 1 and chapter 2 are all based on the fact that this is who Christ is, this is what we believe about Him, this is what He has done for you. And then you get into Colossians chapter 3 and He says, Okay, now if then you were raised with Jesus Christ, then seek those things which are above and live this way. And so I want to be able to go through this book and back out enough, zoom out if you will, so that you're not just so focused in, because here's what happens. We pick our Bibles up, and we go to a single scripture most time. We flip wherever it lands sometimes, or however you do it. But you'll go to that scripture, and you just read that scripture. And don't get me wrong, you can come up with some practical application for your life doing that. But if you want to come to the real interpretation of what this text means... You're only going to get it by zooming out far enough that you can see this whole thing, not just as individual verses, but as a letter that he wrote. And then not just as a letter, but as the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelations. And when you can begin to do that, then you can begin to really set this in your life and live it out the way that it is. One of the things that, um, or a few of the things that he told us in Ephesians chapter 1 through 3 was that you are a chosen people. If you have been called out of darkness of your sin into the light of Jesus Christ, if you've heard that call, you've believed it, you've received it, then he says, you were chosen before the foundations of the earth were ever created. God literally, before you were ever formed in the womb, he looked and said, he will be mine. 
I'm not trying to get on that doctrine this morning. I just want you to understand. Ephesians did teach us that. If you want to go back and study it for yourself, you can see that. All of our sermons are online. You can go back and you see that. It's a beautiful thing to understand, though, believe me, that God chose me. <laughs> and the fact that God didn't choose me because of anything He saw in me. God chose me by His grace. It was undeserved. It wasn't by something... God didn't look into my future and say, well, I see how good He's going to be, and He's going to preach good, and He's going to do... This. God didn't say, well, because He's going to do all this, I'll choose Him and I'll save Him. No, He said it is by grace that you are saved, through faith, and that alone, not of works, lest anyone should ever be able to boast. I will never be able to stand before God in heaven and say, well, you know, He looked into my future and He saw that I was going to be a preacher and that I would bring some people to know Him, and so because of that, He chose me. I'll never be able to take any credit for it. I won't. But that same Ephesians chapter 1 tells me that what will happen is I will be His trophy in heaven of how great His grace is. In other words, all of the angels and all of creation will be able to look at Kevin Wells in heaven and knowing all the account that I just gave of all the things done in my body, both good and bad, knowing everything about me, all of creation will be able to look at me and be able to go, Look at the kindness of God. Look, look at how graceful God is. And that is the purpose of our salvation. He chooses us for His glory. He chooses us for His praise, not because of anything that we have done or will ever do. But we are chosen. We are um, adopted to be His children. Not just chosen to say, well, I'll take Him. But instead, I will take Him and He will be mine. He will be my child and I will be His Father. So I am adopted by this great God of all creation. I am redeemed by this great God of all creation. He sent His Son to purchase me from my sin death that I owed. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And Jesus came and He died on the cross. He paid the price for my sin. And as a result of that, God says, I'm going to choose him, I'm going to redeem him, I'm going to adopt him, I'm going to make him mine, and I'm going to pay for it all. I'm going to do it all. And so that is who we are today. And then finally in Ephesians chapter 2, he ends this thing by telling us that he is doing this and he is leaving you here now as a dwelling place for him and his spirit. He means for your body to be, as we said in Sunday school this morning, the temple of God Almighty. But then we, before we get to chapter 4, you get to the end of chapter 3, and there's a prayer that's shoved right in the middle here. And this prayer is simply a prayer that understands that what God is asking from us in and of ourselves is impossible. I can't do it. I can't be who He's called me to be. I can't walk according to this calling. I can't do these things. I can never make this place a place that is actually con not convenient but appropriate for God's dwelling. And so the only thing Paul does is he says there's power in prayer. So I'm going to pray to the one who is able to do far more abundantly exceeding anything that we could ever ask or think. And so as a result of that, here's what I ask for, God. I'm praying that by the power of your Spirit that you would strengthen their inner man so that Christ can dwell in their hearts, so that Christ can literally be at home in us. 
And, and then I want them to be so in relationship with Christ, living with Him in such a way that, that now they are rooted in His love. They get their nourishment from His love. They grow in His love. And then they are founded and they're built upon His love. And, and that's their foundation and they grow in His love. And, and I'm asking that they'll do that so that they will be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the limitlessness of His love. I'm hoping that they'll be able to come together and as each of them are nourished and as each of them are grounded and they're growing in His love, I'm praying that together they'll be able to share that love with each other and we can see that there's no limit to the height of His love. There's no limit to the depth of His love. There's no way you can put your arms strong enough around the world from east to the west cannot show you how big His love is. And we get to experience that in the body of Christ as He builds us together into this temple of His. You see this design that He's doing here? And so He's praying and He says, Listen, if they can do all this, they will know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. In other words, they will experience the love of Christ in such a way, not just from Him, but from each other. They will experience the love of Christ in such a way that it surpasses anything they could have ever known. <laughs> They've experienced it. They know it. They, you can't, this is not knowledge you can get. This is just something you have to experience. And then the end of his prayer, he said, God, I pray that the whole fullness of God would be able to dwell in them. I've been praying that prayer this week. I feel like many of you have. We come into Sunday school this morning, I felt pretty confident people had been praying this prayer. And I'm going to tell you something, the devil don't like it. I'm not one of these preachers that gets up there and blames everything on the devil, because y'all know the truth of it is, half time it's me, it ain't the devil. That's the facts of it. But this week, I'm going to tell you, um, the devil's been trying every way in the world to st stop me, and, and to a certain degree he did, just to be honest with you. Um, I mean, just attacking and, and just didn't feel good and just um, couldn't explain it. Just a bad week. But I know when we're on to something good because that's the way he works. All of a sudden, when we're on to something good, you remember the, the story of Job? You remember uh, uh, Satan come by and God actually asked Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? In other words, God said, Pay attention to what he's doing. Pay attention to how he's living. Pay attention to what he's on to. And Satan said, oh yeah, I've been watching him. I'd like to get my hands on him, but I can't. And, God, and, and, and he said, you got this hedge around him. He said, but I'll tell you what, you take that hedge away from him and he won't be faithful to you. He won't love you the way he says he loves you. And so the point that I'm trying to make here this morning is that when we start moving toward directions that are genuine, that I want to have this kind of relationship with God, don't be surprised if the attacks come. Don't be surprised. I don't say that to scare you. I say that to, for you to look them in the eye and say, okay, all right, let's do this. And so, and so I'm praying that you will understand that I want to show you just a few other places so you understand that Paul knew that we cannot do any of this without prayer. Look at Philippians chapter 1, verse um, 9 through 11. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. He says, and it is my prayer, this is what he 
prayed for the Philippians. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And so no matter the point that I'm going to make as I go through these is no matter what book you go to, Paul is never going to try to teach you any of this walk before first coming to God in prayer and say, God, this is what I'm asking you to do in their life. They can't do it, but you can. And so I'm trying to get across to you the importance of our prayer life. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 14. He says, And so from the day that we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy in the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And so one of the things that you see in Paul's prayers is that every one of these prayers is about God is calling us to holiness, guys. Church, please listen to this. God didn't save you so that you could stay where you are. Yes, God says, come as you are. Absolutely. But God never said, stay where you are. You cannot come to God and have an encounter with Him and stay the same. It is impossible. And so Paul is understanding that if you're going to walk in this manner that is worthy and you're going to be fully pleasing to Him, it's only going to happen as we cry out to God and ask Him to do it in us. And then we trust His power, we trust His strength, and we follow it. Go to one more place, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. He says, To this end we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of His calling. That our God may make you worthy of His calling. And He may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by His power. Y'all see that? So that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I could go to other books and show you, but the point is, no matter where you go, Paul understood something. We are called to holiness... We are called to glorify Him in the life that we live with Him living in us and us being His body. And we cannot do it without the power of God at work in us. And so I want to ask those of you that have been praying this week, will you keep praying? Will you keep opening your Bible to one of these places and will you pray these prayers? And then for those of you that didn't pray this week, would you pick your Bible up and find one of these places and would you join with us and would you start praying this prayer? And as I said before, as you do this, don't be surprised if you start getting attacked. I don't say that very often. I, 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 it was a surprise to me. It shouldn't have been. It shouldn't have been, but I told my wife just a few days ago, just a couple days ago, I said, I don't know what's wrong with me, but something is not right. And I didn't. I can't put my finger on it. I can't figure out what's going on, but something is bad wrong. And I just I felt terrible, both mentally, physically, everything. 
And then the more I prayed on it, the more I thought about it, the more I realized he's trying every way in the world to shut me down. He's trying to get me to just stop. Don't open your Bible. Don't get in that this morning. You don't feel like getting in that. Don't get down on your knees and pray. You don't even feel like being, your, knee, your legs hurt so bad. You, you don't even get on your knees because there's no sense in it. Um, you're really tired, so just go home and go to bed. You don't need to pray tonight. That's exactly what was going on. And I'm going to tell you, don't be surprised if some of the same attacks come your way. But I promise you, we're not going to get here if we don't get here first. And so I'm calling you to prayer this morning, but more importantly, God and His Word is calling you to prayer this morning. So after we understand our call to be the body of Christ, to be God's dwelling place for all of His fullness, after praying and asking for strength in our inner man to be, his spirit, to, to be the dwelling place of His Spirit and for, for His Spirit to, to control us, basically, for us to surrender to His Spirit, after asking for all of that with that understanding, we get to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. And we hear the first thing. If you're taking notes this morning, Letha called this week and she said, you know, I really like to know you're one, two, and three. She said, it helps me. And I said, I, I understand that. And so if you're taking notes, here's your number one. Your number one is, this is a call to a worthy walk. The first thing you get in chapter four is a call to a worthy walk. He says here, I therefore, the prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. There are several things I want to point out in this. The first thing is the fact that you've already been called to it. You know, a, a few months ago or however long it was, there was a Supreme Court Justice nominee that was, um, that, that, that was put on the, the, the hot plate, I guess you could say. And I, I don't say that I agree with the way that they did it by no means, but one thing about it is, here's what we learn. A very high office is a very high calling. And in that calling, they are looking for someone that basically has proven to be up to a certain standard, right? That's what they're looking for. And they have qualifications that they're looking for. And so they drill them and they go back and they even went back as far as high school with this guy trying to find something that, that, that disqualified him for this office, that he was not fit for this office, that he was not worthy for this calling. And then he had to prove that he was worthy to be accepted into the office. Now here's what I want you to understand that's different about our calling that the Apostle Paul here says. He says, guys, the difference is this. You've already been accepted into the office. Even though they know all of your past. Even though they know everything you've ever done. Even though they know every step you've ever took. You've already been accepted into the office. And so now what I'm asking you to do is I'm asking you to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which you have already been placed. And so we need to understand here that He's saying that because God has declared that you are this, you are chosen, you are His child, you are redeemed, you are the temple of the Lord. He's not asking you now you need to deserve that. He's saying you've been given that by grace and grace alone. 
So now, because of the grace given to you and because of the calling given to you, I'm begging you, walk worthy of this calling. See it as such a high calling that now you want your life to actually live out that I am a child of God. I want the world to be able to look at me and see that I am chosen. I am set apart. I am redeemed. I am a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ. And Paul says here, I'm even to the point of begging you to do it. There's, there's a lot of times in my life that I have fell short because I've said, well, I'm not going to beg nobody to do nothing. The truth of the matter is here, if I'm going to follow the example that I'm seeing right here, and I believe it's a good example to follow, maybe I need to be begging you. Maybe I need to be pleading with you. Please. You've been called to such a high calling. Not everybody gets this calling. And so I'm pleading with you for the sake of God's holy name that you bear as His child. For the sake of who you are in Him. Walk worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then he wants you to understand something else. Notice he says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. Why in the world would he stick that right here? I'm going to tell you why I think he stuck it here. He stuck it right there because he wants you to understand that at this current time when he is writing this letter, he is in prison in Rome. He's in prison. And the reason he's in prison is because he preached the gospel to the Gentiles. Literally, when he got back to Jerusalem, the Jews from Asia were there waiting on him. They took him hostage and took him and they were going to kill him. And Rome got involved. And now here he is in prison in Rome because he was walking in a manner that was worthy of the calling to which he had been called. And so here's what Paul wants you to understand. Guys, it's worth it. It's worth it. No matter what you have to suffer... No matter what the devil wants to throw your way, no matter what you have to endure, it's worth it to walk worthy of this calling to which you have been called. And so I want you to hear the call to a worthy walk. I can't say this enough to you, and I can't dwell on this all morning long. i got to move on, but I need this to stick in your head. We were never called to stay the same as we were when he found us. We were called out of darkness into His light. And the condemnation, He said in John chapter 3, that's going to be for those that are condemned is that light came into the world. But men loved the darkness more than they did the light and the evidence was that their deeds were evil. In other words, they didn't walk worthy of the calling. And so that was evidence that they didn't love the light. They loved the darkness. And so it's my prayer that you can see here that you are called to walk in a manner worthy. Not so you can deserve your calling, not so you can earn your calling. You're already called. But because you have been called, now walk in this way. That moves us to our second point. If you're taking notes, <clears throat> we see the way of the worthy walk. The way of the worthy walk. I wish I had time to go through Romans and I wish I had time to go through Colossians and, and, and Philippians because you would see that this is the pattern that he follows everywhere that, that he writes. But 
he lays out some basics here. But these are some that I think that we need to really examine our lives on and determine where we stand in this way of walking, this worthy walk. And so the first thing that he brings out right here, he, he names out, I called it four. There are four qualities that he lays out right here of our worthy walk. There are some people who say there's five of them. There are some people who say there's six of them. I believe there are four qualities that lead to the goal. I believe there are four qualities of this worthy walk that lead to the goal. And this is the way. The first thing is, he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And the first mark is this, with all humility. With all humility. If you're going to walk worthy in this high calling, you must do it with a mind and a heart that is dominated by humility. Notice, what it, notice the words here. Words are important. That's the reason why I like particular translations over the other because words are important. And, and notice what he says here. With all humility. This is in the original text and what it means is with total humility. He didn't say with a little humility in your life. He means that there needs to be a mind and a heart that is dominated by humility. And humility, another translation for that is lowliness. In other words, it is a sense of one's own unworthiness to even be in this position. There are too many of us that we don't realize that we... We are walking in pride, but we walk in the church and we walk in a, as a Christian in a mindset and a heart that actually thinks, I actually deserve to be here. This is my church. This is my place. This is, I deserve to be here. And Paul wants you to understand that you have got to walk in a mind and a heart that is dominated by humility. And this is a constant struggle. You know that? If you don't fight with pride, you're a liar. This is a constant struggle. Listen, we live in an age that we want to be recognized for everything that we do. We want an award for everything. We want people to be able to see that this is what I did and this is who I am. And Paul said one of the first things the Christian has to do to walk worthy of his calling, he has to get in his mind and in his heart, I'm a nobody. The only reason I'm anybody is because he's called me to be a somebody. That's it. Paul understood this. Whenever you go back to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 through 10, I want to read this to you. He said, For I delivered to you as of, import, as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and then the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But look at verse 10. I love Paul's mindset here. Because he's not telling you to just have a mindset of unworthiness and then just stay there. He's saying you need to understand that the only reason you're anybody is because he made you somebody. 
And so he says here, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. No, on the contrary. In other words, he's talking about the worthy walk that he does. Even in his worthy walk, he's not worthy to be where he's at. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Paul was always quick to do two things. Paul was always quick to look back at his past, at who he was before Christ found him. Can anybody in here do that? He's always quick to be able to look back at who you were when Christ found you. And then at the same time, he's always able to look ahead to where he's at now and recognize that the only thing I can say about it is it ain't got nothing to do with me. It is the grace of God that's in me that made me what I am. It's the grace of God and His power that's working in me that makes me work and do the things that I do. I cannot take credit for any of it. And this is a mindset that has to be in you. And if you have this mindset... You're going to come to church with a mind that understands that I'm the least one worthy to be sitting in these pews. I am the least one worthy to be standing up here preaching to you today. And that's the reason why I tried to have a mind and a heart that's dominated by servanthood. That's the reason why I, when we have dinners outside, and, and please don't hear me trying to boast in this, in false humility, I stay at the end of the line. Once you've all had your drinks and once you've all got through the lines and once you've all got, once you've all been served and everybody has been served, now it's my turn. And again, that's because I know that I really am the least worthy of the ones to be in this place. I know that. And the more that you come to recognize that in your life, the more of a servant you're going to become in this place. Listen, you can judge the level of your humility by the level of your service. Now, that's not the only thing you can judge it by, but you can judge it by that. The more that you have an understanding of your unworthiness to be in this position at all, the more it leads you to just try to do for someone else. You'll know how much a servant heart you have by, by how, whenever somebody treats you like one, if it offends you or not. That's the truth. And so it is my prayer this morning that you're able to look and you're able to hear with Paul. That's the reason why in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, he starts this book out saying, Paul an apostle of the Lord, by the will of God. That's why he starts the whole book. That's his first statement. He said, I'm Paul, I'm an apostle of the Lord, by the will of God, and that alone. <laughs> I don't deserve to be here. That's the reason why in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7 and 8, do you have that one up there? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7 and 8, listen to what he said. He said, of this gospel I was made a minister. Listen to this closely. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given by the working of His power. And then look at the way he starts verse 8. To me. He said this gospel was given to me. 
Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. When you are truly in a mind dominated and a heart dominated by humility, it will lead you to a place that if you get the opportunity to do anything for God, you look at it and you go, He wants me. He wants me to preach the gospel. He wants me to teach a Sunday school class. He wants me to be a part of His people. But how many of us come in here with our heads up so high on Sunday morning that the first time somebody does something that don't match up to our standards... Y'all know what I'm talking about. That's the problem. He says here that you're not walking in total humility like you should be. So I'm begging you, is what he would say, to walk worthy. And the way that you walk worthy is by having a mind and a heart that is dominated by total humility. And the way that you have a mind and a heart that is dominated by total humility is by looking at where you were before He found you. And your total unworthiness to be in the call to which He called you right now. And to be able to look at Him and say, To me. To me. And that leads to the second step, to the second quality. The second quality is gentleness. He said, walk with all humility and gentleness because if you have humility, you will have gentleness. It will lead you into this. Gentleness, this is the kind of person who is just easy to go along with. Now, I'm not talking about a weak person. I'm not talking about a person that just steps back and don't want to argue with anybody so he just goes along with whatever. But this is a person that the only thing he cares about is God's glory. You want to change the carpet, change the carpet. You want to change the pews? Change the pews. You want to not have songbooks? Don't have songbooks. You want to do this? Do this. You want to do that? If it don't offend the glory of God, I'm easy to go along with because I don't even deserve to be here anyway. But that's the very thing that will divide most churches. You know it? And it's because they lack gentleness. And the reason they lack gentleness is because they lack humility. They actually think that I belong here. This is my carpet. Those are my pews. These are my people. And if anybody comes in and tries to disrupt any of that, it's not going to be pretty for you. You lack gentleness. Gentleness is the kind of person who is easy to go along with because they put others' interests before their own. Look at this scripture. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through 7. He says in Philippians 2, verse 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. <clears throat> but in humility. So we see the mark of humility, and then you're going to see how it manifests itself. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. And have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God to a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. 
Here's the point that you need to be able to see. When we have true humility, gentleness is going to come. And this gentleness comes out in a way that because we don't deserve to be here anyway, your interests come before mine. It's just the way it is. I count you as more significant than me. Now see, if you're just the opposite, you've got to back up. You've got to get back humility again. But I, I need to get to the place to where I count you as more significant than me. You, are, you deserve to be here before I do. Your voice deserves to be heard before mine does. And this is the kind of mindset that this person has. And you're going to understand why here in just a few minutes. But because you understand your, your unworthiness to be in this position, you count others more significant than yourself. You look to the interests of others by being a servant. It is the attitude that leads you to to act this way is what gentleness is. And humility is the root. Humility is the root of this. And then out of that root springs gentleness and an understanding that others are more significant than me. And as you walk this way, you're, going, you're fixing to get to the goal. Let's go through a couple more real quick. The next one, <clears throat> these two lead to the third one. This is a chain reaction again. <clears throat> he says here, with all humility and gentleness, with Patience. Another word for this is long-suffering. It means to have a long fuse, not to go off quickly. How many of you remember playing with fireworks when you were a kid? Some of y'all young ones don't remember, the, the, well, some of y'all do, but, but I can remember when I was a kid, man, we, it's a wonder we're still alive, just to be honest with you. We had some fireworks that I'm talking about. You didn't get the fuse lit before. That thing better be gone. It was, boom, that's it. And I can remember blowing up in your hand and everything else. And that's what this word is talking about. He's talking about someone that doesn't have a short fuse, but instead someone that even when something lights you, sets your fuse, it sits there and it burns for a long time. And the reason it's able to do that is because you don't even deserve to be here to begin with. And they are more significant than I am. And so I'm not going to be quick to offense whenever they do something that sets me off. But all this goes back to the root of humility. And we don't realize it, but it's the, but it's the truth. He says, you'll be long-suffering and you will trust God through difficult circumstances if you are able to put on this patience, this long-suffering, this long-fuse and the more highly you think of yourself, the more quickly you think people should serve you. And that's the reason why when things don't go your way or when something lights you the wrong way, that's what happens. The problem is you're thinking too highly of yourself. And we've got to get back to that place where we understand, I really don't deserve to be here. I really don't. And so I am the least of all the church members I'm not even worthy to be called a church member, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. The last one, go with me. He says, bearing with one another in love. This is a good one. Bearing means to hold up under flaws and failures. To hold up. Now you think about that. Flaws and failures. They, people's, other people's flaws and failures, they, they weigh on you, right? They weigh on you, especially when they affect you in some way. 
And he says here that this person that's walking in a worthy walk is somebody that's able to bear up. And they're able to hold up under others' flaws and failures. This quality is one that literally puts a blanket over other people's sins. Literally, it, it, it covers their sins for them. They don't let them be exposed. They don't announce them for everybody to see. They just they bear with other people's faults and they bear with their failures. I'm not talking about being tolerant of sin. I'm talking about when Nick does something out of his faults and failures that offends me, I'm not just quick to be offended and my, my fuse goes off and then I snap like a bomb and I'm no longer gentle, but I'm harsh. I'm talking about this is the kind of person that if, if Nick has some faults and failures that offend me, I'm quick to just take a blanket and put over it. And I'm quick to say, I love that brother too much to let this fault and this failure. I don't even long to be here. Look what God has covered in me. And so I'm quick to do this. This is the reason why he says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, he says that love will cover a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. That literally, when you go to that Greek and you look at this verse, he says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers. And you go and you look up that Greek word in which we get covers, and it means to put a blanket over. That's what it means. It means to literally... Cover it up. Cover it up. And it's because I have a mindset that understands that I don't even belong to be here to begin with. I know he's got faults and failures. I got faults and failures. And the best thing we can do is love each other through them and help each other. And you're going to understand why he does that in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 9. It's one of my favorite Proverbs. Whoever, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. You wouldn't believe how many times I've seen that done. He said, whoever covers an offense, listen, I know we got faults. <laughs> I got faults, believe me. You hang around me any length of time, my faults are going to come out. And you're no different. And so we need to understand that when that happens, I have a responsibility to cover my brother, to cover my sister. And when I do that, it says I'm seeking love. But the person who repeats a matter, he's trying to separate close friends, the only thing he's trying to do. And it's very important that we understand if we're going to walk in a walk that is worthy, God said, I expect you to cover your brother and sister's faults and failures. I expect you to do that. Instead of, because look at the goal, the number three, if you're, if you're um, going through the notes with me. If you'll look at number three, the goal is this. Maintain the unity of the Spirit. The goal of the worthy walk it comes from verse three. Maintain the unity of the Spirit. And so in, in verse two, we had four qualities. If you'll walk in humility, you'll be a gentle person. And if you're a gentle person, you'll be a long-suffering and a patient person. And if you're a gentle and a long-suffering and a patient person, you'll be a person who bears up and holds up others in their faults and their failures. And you just throw a blanket over it. And when you do that, the goal of it is that you are eager. It shows in verse 3 that you are eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. The Spirit is the one that drew you into this call. The Spirit is the one that causes you to be born again. The Spirit is the one that leads you and guides you and makes your home a dwelling place for God. 
And he says here that the unity of the Spirit is that he has called you into fellowship with a group of people that together they are being built into the house of God. And so we need to be eager. That word, another translation says, endeavoring. It means to work hard at it. I'm not trying to sit here and tell you this morning that what I'm telling you to do is easy. That's the reason Paul's having to beg us to do it. It's not easy. But he tells us the trick is this. If you'll get your mind and your heart down in humility where it belongs anyway, the rest of this stuff will happen. And then you will maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 2. And I want to show you that this was what he was trying to get across. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 11 through 22. And that, that's my last point this morning so I'm not going to keep you much longer. Ephesians 2 verse 11 it says, Therefore remember... Remember, that's a key. Remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. In other words, Paul's putting everybody on the same playing field right here. I don't care if you were a Jew. I don't care if you were a Gentile. Every one of you don't deserve to be here. You don't belong here, but God made you to belong here. Verse 12, he says, Remember then that, at, that you were at that time separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. You had no hope. You were without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Listen to this. For He Himself is our peace who has made us both one. Now listen, you may, I may not be Jew and Gentiles here today, but we could learn a lot about our relationship from Jew and Gentile relationships. And he says here, He made us both one. And He has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself, notice all these ones, one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. You are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus Himself is the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now go back to Ephesians 4 again and let's finish this up. Keep that in mind, all that oneness, right? Remember, the Holy Spirit has made you one man, one body, by one spirit, one faith, one hope. You were without hope. One God, one Father, right? And that is the unity that the Spirit... In other words, you have all these things in common with me. We were once without God, without hope, a, a, a dying man, no spirit, and yet Christ because of Ephesians chapter 1 through 3 tells us that now you are all of this together because God is making you a dwelling place for His Spirit. So how important is unity? Pretty vital, right? 
And he says here, I want you to endeavor. Endeavor. Let's finish this up in verse 3. Endeavor. I want you to work hard and be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Peace is the glue that holds it together. I have peace with you. I have peace with God. And then in verse 4, look what he says. There is one body. Here's the reason why you need to maintain the unity. There's one body, guys. There ain't 20 different bodies of Christ. Let me say that one more time because y'all didn't hear me. There's one body comprised of all believers. One body. Wells Baptist Church ain't the only body. There's one body. That's it. One body. So how important is unity? Pretty important. There's one body. There is one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord. One faith. One baptism, one God and Father of all who is sovereign over all believers. He is working through all believers and He lives in all believers. And so as a result of that, if we're going to be the dwelling place of God, it's going to be by us striving together to stay in unity. And how do we do that? Well, let's go backwards. Go back to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3. The only way that you will maintain the unity of the spirit, uh, the unity of the spirit, is if you bear with one another. It's if you hold up under other people's faults and failures, but you won't bear with others if you're not long-suffering. If you have a short fuse, if you're not patient, you won't be bearing. Right? As soon as somebody does something you don't like, what will you do? You blow up. There goes unity. So he says here, if you want to maintain the unity, you do it by being bearing with one another's faults and failures. If you want to maintain the unity, then you do it by bearing one another's because you are, you are long-suffering. And you won't be long-suffering if you're not gentle and meek, but if you always have to have your way or the highway, or you think your own interests are more important than everybody else's interests, or you think you're more significant than someone else, you won't be gentle because you don't have a deep sense of unworthiness to even be in this position. The more highly you think of yourself, the more quickly you think people should serve you. And this will always lead to disunity. So, let me close by saying this, or asking this question. Do you want to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called? If you do, then Paul says, I'm begging you, get your mind and your heart right. I'm begging you to understand that you don't belong here to begin with. God and His grace is the only reason you belong here. And I'm begging you to put on humility and to put on gentleness, and to put on long-suffering, and to put on forbearance so that I put a cover over my brothers and sisters' faults and failures. I heard a pastor say one time, you got to leave a little room for grace. Did y'all hear that? you got to leave some room for grace. Church, you, you got to leave me a little room to mess up from time to time. you, you got to leave me a little room to, to, to preach a bad sermon every now and then you, you got to leave me a little room to say something that I shouldn't have said from time to time. And we've got to do that for one another. And the more we do that for one another, the more we maintain the unity in the bond 
of the peace of God and the peace that He has purchased for one another. I hope you get that this morning. Do you know how many people I've watched leave the church because their brother or sister made them mad? Are y'all hearing me? I don't think you are because i got 20 years under my belt in this place and some of you in here longer than that. Do you know how many people I've watched go right out that door right there? Not because God called. Do you know that in 20 years, Nick, I don't remember but just maybe one or two times that somebody came to me and said, Pastor, God is calling me to go here. Do you know what a joy it would be for me as a pastor for one of you to come to me and say, Pastor, God's calling me to go do this. And I would pat you on your back and pray over you and walk you out that door right there. But do you know out of the hundreds of people that I've watched walk out that door, I can only name just a couple that's done that. The rest of them instead got mad because their brother or sister did something they didn't like. Here we go. And they didn't maintain unity in the bond of peace because they thought there's another body somewhere else. Let me tell you something. There's only one body. One body. And so I'm praying that you get this message this morning that you put on humility, put on gentleness, put on long-suffering, and be a bearing person. Leave some room for grace. And if you do that, you're starting to build the temple of God Almighty, His dwelling place. Y'all stand this morning. If there is uh, something that God has placed on your heart that you want to pray about, now is the time to do that. You can do it right there in your pew. You can humble yourself at the altar wherever you see fit. But I encourage you this morning that if the Holy Spirit has been speaking with you and talking to you, I pray that you would listen. I pray you'd be sensitive to it, not quench it. I pray you'd respond to it. Whatever it is this morning He's been speaking to you about, would you come now?